Hello, I am Riley Wilson, and welcome to the Band of One podcast. This podcast is designed to help anyone that wants to begin performing as a solo or small group act or get better and book more work in a small group setting. I have over 50 years of live performance experience and will share not just my tips, but ideas from other working top pros in their regions of the world. Like and subscribe, and let's both get busy together. In the 1970s, there was a movie called The Paper Chase, featuring actors John Houseman and Timothy Bottoms. It was about a young man in his first year at Harvard Law School. While I briefly discussed contracts in a previous podcast, I want to expand this today and talk about organization and how important it is to being a solo performer. Organization might be as important as talent, connections, or anything else in a solo or small group career. In the late 1980s, I began a private guitar and bass teaching business. Thanks to the help of a music store in Raleigh, North Carolina, I went from teaching 10 to 15 students to 65 students per week. These were individual half-hour guitar lessons. My wife and I had moved back to North Carolina after spending four years in Southern California. One Monday night, I had two guitar students show up at 8 p.m. for a guitar lesson. I'm not a dancer, and there was no way I could dance out of that one. A good friend suggested I look into the Franklin Day Planner, and that helped me not only get my teaching business organized, but helped in many areas in my life. The Franklin system not only came with a date book, but four audio cassettes on the topic of time management. This became a major point of interest for me, and at one point, I even thought about going to work to teach their system for time management. I highly recommend going to YouTube and watching Hiram Smith and his video about the Franklin time management system. In fact, that might be worth the price of this podcast by itself. Now, I didn't follow through with that because I had enough things I was already passionate about, namely guitar instruction, writing about guitars for magazines, and my live performance career. But I used and relied heavily upon this system for years and still do my daily planning and solitude first thing in the morning. In the early 2000s, I started using a Palm Pilot. Anybody remember those? And then I simply transitioned to doing everything on my computer. More about that in a moment. Now, think about your system for organizing your life. Do you have one? Do you use it daily? And does it work for you? Even if you already have a system in place, I have some suggestions I believe will make a big difference in your level of organization and allow you to play gigs with nothing slipping through the cracks. I shared the specifics of what I email people on a gig contract in a previous podcast. However, there's a lot more communication that needs to happen between contacting someone and actually playing the gig. As I pointed out in a prior podcast, the majority of my work these days come from online pay-to-play sites, The Bash and Gig Salad. They will email as well as text me about a potential gig once a client has submitted information on a future engagement. I can then check out the details to see if I'm even interested in the event. Both sites have save and send templates you can customize when reaching out to help automate and streamline the process. Since I don't have an away-from-home full-time job, I'm able to respond within moments of getting a notification unless it happens while I'm on another gig. The majority of gig inquiries I get are typically during business hours, and so my flexible schedule allows me to be a rapid responder. This has helped me win another badge on the bash. 
And as my good buddy Michael Edwin Q pointed out in a prior podcast, if you can't get back to an agent quickly, the job goes to someone else. Once you contact a prospect, as they call it in the sales biz, check your calendar and make sure you really want to pursue the booking. How far are you willing to travel? In the early days of your career, you might be willing to travel quite far for smaller amounts of money. One of my friends here in Texas, who was part of a successful duo for many years, said his partner would be happy to go anywhere as long as he made 100 bucks a show. While you're welcome to play for whatever amount you're happy to accept, the purpose of this podcast is to help you earn more and more money and keep it. Travel, of course, is just one of many elements on whether or not to accept a gig. What is the length of the performance? Will you need a hotel and or a rental car? Would it be a flyout date? If so, what do you need in terms of air and ground transportation? How about a sound system or even an instrument if you're doing a fly-in date? Can you get your guitar or keyboard on the plane without any additional gear like a multi-effects processor? Where are you going to carry it? Will you check it or carry it as on-board luggage? Think long and hard about exactly what you need to bring in order to do your show before you send a price quote. Success author Jack Canfield of the Chicken Soup for the Soul book series says, Get comfortable asking questions. Lots of questions. What is the client looking for? What kind of music do they want performed? Is there any kind of music or any songs they don't want performed? Do they have any special attire they want you to wear for the event? Will they need to use your microphone to make announcements? Is the event indoors or outdoors? And if it is outdoors, have they got a contingency plan in case it rains or snows? Once you've been doing this for a while, you'll get a feel for what to ask for. Online gigs are different from gigs you book yourself. I do hope you use a contract for every event you perform at. Unless you're doing a restaurant or club gig, have it in writing. If that's not possible, email the client and save that email. While it's rare, occasionally a client may disagree with you on the length of performance for an agreed-upon sum of money. For this reason, print a copy of the contract and take it with you to the gig. While a lot of this information may seem obvious to those of you that have been doing it for a while, I want to make sure that everyone understands many of these business protocols so that you don't get burned and you get paid what you're owed. Sadly, this is an area you really must be careful, especially with clients that insist you were a vendor. Retirement homes and over 55 communities usually insist on a W-9 or similar document and often demand net 30 terms for one-hour gigs that usually pay less than $200. After doing these types of events for a while, I've come to the conclusion that they may not be worth it. For example, I have one client I'm threatening now with legal action since they are over 90 days late on payment. Unless this is the only kind of work you can get, be very careful with such clients or, better yet, avoid them entirely. This makes the paper trail mandatory, especially if you want to get paid. Gig Salad typically collects everything from the client up front, including their booking fee, and then pays you after the gig. If you request a deposit, They'll pay that before you ever leave for the event and then pay the remaining balance a day or so following the successful completion of the performance. The bash suggests collecting a deposit up front, out of which they take a small percentage. They leave it to you to collect the balance if any is due from the client itself. While both systems work, I actually prefer the bash's approach. 
If the client wants me to go overtime, they can then decide to do so and pay me the balance at the event. I let clients know upfront they can pay with cash, check, the cash app, or Venmo. I tell them that I do accept PayPal as long as they're willing to cover the PayPal fees. For this reason, I'm not a big fan of using PayPal for gig payments. Maybe they'll change that in the future. One excellent advantage to being on Gig Salad is that it allows me to have an easy-to-use and easy-to-read gig calendar, even while I'm traveling. This is critical, since I'm often booked for more than one show in a day. This Saturday, for example, I'm performing at a funeral at 10 a.m. in East Texas, and then a restaurant in East Dallas at 6 p.m. the same day. That makes for a busy day and a lot of travel. Since the restaurant gig was booked first, I had to look and see how long the actual performance as well as the drive to and from East Texas would take me before I ever submitted a gig bid. I can even look at my gig calendar from my cell phone if I am traveling or on a break in the middle of a gig about a possible future show. Remember my buddy Michael Quagliano's comments that when he was working Italian restaurants, he would often get a call from a client on a break. Hey, how much are they paying you? I'll pay you more over here. So again, being flexible and willing to adapt and to get back to people quickly is a real way to put more cash in your pocket. One reason that I began adapting the Franklin time management system in my life in the late 80s is that I got really busy. Yes, it's a good problem to have, but it also creates challenges if you are not naturally organized by nature. I even took my Franklin Day Planner on vacation as well as business meetings and got laughed at occasionally from other people that thought I couldn't live without it. The truth is, professionally, I couldn't. I'd already discovered that about myself when I had two students show up at the same time for a guitar lesson. Now, this is the entrepreneur versus employee mindset, which I have also discussed in a prior podcast. An employee simply punches a time clock from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. daily and says if anything comes up after hours or they don't want to handle, they say, that's not my department. An entrepreneur, on the other hand, has the mentality of, what does it take? Whatever it takes, I'm willing to do it to see the job through successfully. Nowhere is this more important than in personal time management. Here's a question. Do you know any famous and or successful people? Observe how they spend their time. Jay Graydon is one of my favorite guitarists and also a role model when it comes to time management. Jay is incredibly protective of his time because he says, I'm working all the time. Therefore, he doesn't allow other people to waste his valuable time. Successful people are quite protective of their time, and as Brian Tracy points out in his books and seminars, always ask yourself, what is the most valuable use of my time right now? Like Hiram W. Smith points out in the Franklin Time Management Seminar, each of us are given a check for 24 hours at the beginning of each new day. How we spend or invest or waste it is a matter of personal choice. Once you have booked a gig and performed it, scan and save a copy of the contract. I've been using a Mac computer for more than 20 years and began doing this with a program called AppleWorks. Later, I started using OpenOffice, which is a wonderful freebie Microsoft Office knockoff. It works great, and I sometimes use Pages, which was installed on a newer Macintosh I now use. I will save the original contract and then print it once it is signed by myself and the client. I'll save the final product as a PDF file. This is invaluable when a client happens to book me on more than one event. 
I can always go back and find out how long the gig was. Did I perform any overtime? And what, if anything, was I tipped? This is great leverage to get more money the next time you want to perform for a client. Some jobs simply aren't very fun, and so the next time the client wants to book me, it'll cost them more money. This might be as simple as a difficult load-in, a difficult environment, demanding people, etc. I have saved contracts going back more than 15 years. This also helps me to determine how much of my work is booked direct versus how much is booked with the different pay-to-play sites. The great thing about having a paper trail is that the longer you perform shows, the better you know yourself, your act, and your buyers. One successful life insurance salesman would take the week off between Christmas and New Year's to examine his business for details on how to improve. I'm a big fan of looking at your business as a business and asking yourself, how can I do better? Also, read your paperwork. Now, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I did a gig last night at a hotel in downtown Dallas for a major corporation. I had it in my head the gig was a 6 to 9 p.m. job. However, after encouraging my wife to join me, we arrived at the venue where I discovered we were there over an hour early. Had I done something as simple as look carefully at my contract, we wouldn't have rushed out of the house. Now, to be fair, this was my sixth show in a week, and it's usually not that hectic. Having paperwork and trying to be organized is an ongoing battle, at least in my case. Another valuable thing to do for the first time of a gig is possible, go by the venue before you actually perform. Find out where you're likely to unload and set up. I just completed a large corporate gig at the Star here in Frisco, Texas, and met with a client and two other people involved in the event the day before the show. It was a really good thing I did because we discovered where the best place for me to set up would be and made the entire event go smoother for my client and his guests. Make sure you have working electricity wherever they plan to have you perform. This has derailed more than one job for me in times past, which is why I let the client know they have to have working AC power in the message I sent them along with a copy of the contract. This way, they can repair anything that needs repairing if they're not sure they have adequate power for me to do my show. If you put it on paper, you'll have a paper trail to protect you should things go south. One of the newest trends is to have small battery-powered amplification systems. Companies like Bose, EV, JBL, and Mackie all have small PA systems that will accommodate a vocal microphone, an instrument, and backing tracks that all run on batteries. This will allow you to actually do a performance in the middle of nowhere, miles from any AC. While this has its limitations, it's a marvelous way to add flexibility in terms of where you can actually set up and perform. Contracts and paperwork are critical at tax time. As my buddy Freddie Tripp said in Podcast 19, quote, keep good records because Uncle Sam keeps good records, close quote. I strongly recommend reporting all gig income as taxable income. I know at least one musician who made that mistake, and it took him years to pay off the IRS. Earl Nightingale says that the fastest way to get successful is to be honest in your business dealings. You'll sleep better at night, too. I mentioned using my computer and calendar to help with my organization. I have an iPhone and usually sync my calendar on the phone to my iMac before leaving for a show. This allows me to put details into the phone so that even if something happened to my paper contract, I've got all the necessary details to be able to arrive and play the gig and collect any monies owed me. 
The phone is invaluable with onboard GPS and helps me to find even the most out-of-the-way location to perform a show. In the old days, this was a real hassle and sometimes caused you to be late to a performance because you simply couldn't find out where you're performing. I include the client's email and phone number on my contract as well as my iCal calendar app. That way, if I arrive at the gig and can't easily find where I'm setting up, I can call or text the client from my car to make sure I get to the right address. Being organized also helps you to be sure that you're where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there and often pays off in more and bigger tips and repeat business. This has been a long podcast because there's so much information to cover about paperwork and organization as it relates to being a solo entrepreneur who travels for work. The more loose ends you can tie up before leaving the house, the better your chances of succeeding with a terrific show where the client can't wait to have you back. That's the whole purpose of this podcast, and as I reiterated in times past, this is worth taking notes about. Now, if you're not in the habit of taking notes, start that today. I've helped out many of my guitar students over the past three-plus decades by letting them know if they are still in school to take notes. I tell students, teachers are lazy like everyone else. They won't write down anything on the board unless it's going to be required for you to know later. The purpose of this podcast is to help you avoid making all the silly mistakes myself and my contemporaries have made during the last few decades and help you get better faster with less effort. That's all for today. I am Riley Wilson, and thanks for joining me on the Band of One podcast. If you have ideas or comments for upcoming episodes, reach out to me directly on our Facebook Band of One podcast page or simply email me through our webpage, guitarmadesimpler.com. See you next time.